Podcast. I'm your host, Kulin Green. Back, back the episode. This is a special episode because the guy that uh, the editing is just my my right hand man. He just gets everything done for this podcast. Uh, if you ever interested in uh, engineering and production, we're gonna get a little bit into these conversations. But let me introduce. He's a phenomenal. He does. He's just all around just great uh, musician. He's a musician. He's a he's just an all, all around talent. He is nothing he like. If he can't, we are gonna talk about it in the next hour or so. But y'all give it up right now for Miss Eddie Villar. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Man, it, it feels does it feel weird uh, being on the show that you help <laughs> edit? Well, absolutely, absolutely. To think that I'm deemed worthy of uh, being asked any sorts of question, you know. I don't care how big most people blow up. I, I mean, you're always going to see yourself as the immature you you were many years ago. So. <laughs> oh, wow. I have so many questions for you. I don't even know where to start. Okay. I feel like I know you a little bit, but I don't know you at the same time. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. we work, we've been literally been working since last year of 21. And it's like, well, I guess we'll t- I'll progress to that conversation. But on this podcast... With any interview I do, I usually try to start from the beginning. I call it the, the genesis, like a musical genesis story of the guest that I have. I want to know in, in terms of what you do professionally. I mean, just being a musician, where that start for you in terms of your childhood? What kind of music did you listen to growing up? Okay. Uh, let me start with some of my uh, personal background history. Uh, I think this is important. I think this is where people like to start because it intrigues conversation from the start. So mm-hmm. what many don't know about me, uh, my father's Portuguese. He was born in Portugal. My mom was born in Angola, Africa. Um, mm-hmm. She met my dad in Portugal. They got married there and immigrated to the U.S. So I'm technically, I guess you could say, first generation immigrant, except I was born in New Jersey. So it wasn't like I was, mm-hmm. but my dad's the one that hustled and made that happen. But I say all that because that's a huge part of my, it's my culture. Uh, So what people may or may not know about places like New Jersey, uh, it's so multicultural. In fact, I basically grew up in a Portuguese, Brazilian, Spanish community. uh, And what's what I've always loved about that now that I've gotten older, it's almost crazy to look back and realize, you know, you didn't even have to speak English if you didn't want to. Um, even with mm. Portuguese, you know, people are more familiar with Brazil and like Spanish styled restaurants and grocery stores. But I mean, there's even Portuguese stores that were within walking distance of where I grew up. So, uh, anyway, I say all that because that's literally what has made me become what I am. I, uh, <laughs> to, to quickly summarize what I used to be embarrassed about, but now proud of, I, I'm a church boy. Okay, so it, it may be surprising to some, but I always grew up in church. Uh, and in the Portuguese-Brazilian community, we had church, what some may call too much. 
I mean, it was literally like, you know, four to six days a week. Um, but because of that experience, I mean, uh, as we're, we'll touch at some point, me being a musician, I started playing at about nine or 10 years old. I mean, I was fortunate that once I started playing, I played endlessly. I mean, they were two to four hour service, very similar to the gospel world. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a very, uh, some may say even like a prophetic style church. So music is a very heavy part uh, of the religious experience. I'll kind of generalize it like that uh, as much as anything else. So that's kind of my, I guess you could say my cultural background and it had heavy influence in even my playing style, which is why I even went there. Um, Cause I, uh, with it being a very percussive, uh, I guess you could say uh, cultural thing. I mean, I guess most things are percussive in, in reality. Uh, it, it really explains why I play the way I play uh, when it comes to drumming and things of that nature. But anyway, uh, let me hopefully uh, be able to make this make sense quicker. Uh, so I started playing drums at about nine, nine years old, uh, played in church pretty much my whole life. Grew up in a scenario where church was all I did. And that's why I kind of said I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm an overall church boy, because whether I liked that at that age or not, the point is it has had heavy influence on what I am today. Uh, and uh, moving forward, when I graduated high school, I moved, uh, I was originally going to go to Belmont University here in Nashville. Uh, and much like most people, when you have a, a role model in whatever profession you think you would do, such as drumming, I was like, well, what school did he go to? Because if that blew him up, then that's what I'm going to do. Not realizing I couldn't afford it. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, I was like, the easiest thing to do is follow someone else's footsteps because they've tested the time and the path and it's worked mm-hmm. for them. So let's give that a shot. Uh, so, yeah, moved to uh, I was going to move to Nashville, but uh, very last minute, believe it or not. I mean, I kind of God's beck and call. I felt led to go to a Bible college in Columbus, Ohio. Now, <laughs> how do I put this? As a white boy, I, I ended up going to a, I, I guess you, I hate to call it like this, but like a black gospel environment church world. So, it's non-denominational, but it's a very it's oh, a Pentecostal okay. feel in the sense of shouting, you know, taking oh, the church okay. religiously. Uh, it's very unexpected when you stare at me that I can take it to church, but I can't. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, so when the so when the pastor's tuning up, you can. Oh yeah, behind it, like yeah, yeah. Oh. I stay on stage, uh, and it didn't come easy <laughs> because the point is, you can look at me and also realize it probably didn't come easy. Uh, but you know, co- going back to influences, when I decided to do that, I was already seventeen before I you know, changed my mind and went to that school. So when I realized the environment I was about to go into, I was like, oh crap, like what kind of music are these people listening to? And you have, this may be shocking to most, but like even being born in America, I didn't even know who Kirk Franklin was, who Fred Hammond was, any of that. So when I realized, you know, I'm going into the gospel world, I was like, well, I better listen to whatever is popular. And this was the first time somebody like me growing up in the type of church I did realized you could play drums like that in church. <laughs> so, I was like, bass players uh, letting loose. And I'm like, it's pocket on top of amazing vocal. I'm like, this is a dream. You know, it's like, I grew up listening to right. Jazz Fusion since I was so close to New York City. And uh, 
being able to see that somehow intermingled in the church building environment, I was like, this is a dream. Uh, so that was the the beginning stage of a genre I just have fallen in love with. I mean, I, no matter where I go, I do a lot of country music and a lot of Southern gospel, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, when I get to play funky music with gospel musicians, I mean, it's absolutely a dream come true. So uh, I could ramble who, on and oh, on, but let me stop. No, no, no. Let me let you ask questions. <laughs> no, no, fine. I want to stay on that a little bit because the reason why I ask that is I want to know the perspective I guess in terms of like, because you said you started when you were nine or ten. In terms of the perspective, uh, how you were introduced to the music. Just when I, when I asked that, I'm asking like, how did was it to do it at first? Like when I asked, I mean like in terms of your introduction to music. Like, was there certain uh, sounds or genres that you gravitated to when you were a kid, or was it just taking it all the different genres of music but was there anything particular that stood out that made you gravitate to it yes uh being a you know i guess in the church world the 90s music scene was very different than it is now um Mm. and considering what most people listen in my era there were some popular groups like uh dc talk and stephen curtis chapman and things of that nature um Mm. i've always gravitated I'm, I'm a pretty straight shooter, so some things I'm about to start saying moving forward will sound intense, but I can't stand lack of quality, if that makes sense. Uh, so yeah. when it came to music, when I what made me being willing to waste my time listening to it, that's how I put it, was the fact that not only is the song impeccable, but the, the sonic content is impeccable. Like It's like the recording experience needs to be just as impeccable as the song itself. Now, keep in mind, I don't truly believe that if you don't have the studio integrity that we all wish every album had, that it's not a good song, because there's many of those that I love that are not. But that's the first thing my heart, I suppose, gravitates towards when it comes to that. So Stephen Curtis Chapman, to be very honest, is one of my favorite uh, musical heroes at that young of an age. Uh, It had a little of everything, uh, musician-wise. It was very guitar-driven. Uh, but it, it had a very Nashville-esque vibe. And I don't know if that's what had so much influence in me ending up in this city. Uh, but it's kind of like when I hear his music, I think this guy knows what the crap he's doing. <laughs> so so um, in that same vein, was there, uh, since you were uh, the tennis, that Tennessee thing, was it a regional, did you pick on more regional or more national recording artists when you were a kid what 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 kind of music was it um certain national artists or was it was a regional scene uh more palpable in terms of the way for me it was national uh so it's all big acts i didn't really grow up uh like with local underground scenes that's kind of the the underground phrase is kind of what i grew up understanding was everything outside of the big acts uh i wasn't the type of guy that was going to go to clubs and bars and all these places even to listen to good music so you know some people be mad at me i'm that close to new york city literally a 30 minute train uh subway ride and i could have experienced some of the best jazz musicians on planet earth literally and Mm -hmm. You know, 
between the limitations my parents had with letting me, you know, loose at that age, I suppose, uh, it would be different now. Uh, I mean, it's quite insane to think the talent that was right down the street that I never got to experience. Um, there's a very world-renowned drummer that once I snuck out of the house to New York City, uh, his name is Dave Weckl. Uh, he's kind of a living legend in the drumming world. Uh, mm. And he's normally doing international gigs. Well, we found out that he was performing at this really small bar and they were only going to let in like 50 people or so. Well, we got there and we knew we were underage. We were only 17 and they allowed drinking. So, of course, I wouldn't have been able to get in. And I remember me and my friend, we took two or three subway rides. We literally got outside the place and there was literally a bouncer. And we're like, crap, he's not going to let us in. So he he didn't. But fun fact, my friend, uh, he's a bass player and he grew up obsessed with the drummer. And he actually knew who his drum tech was. So when the drummer came out, to, uh, the tech came out to go to the car, he, we literally like fangirled him and like begged. Please, 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 please let us in. Because we'd be like five feet from his snare drum. I mean, it would have been that kind oh, of wow. vibe. Yeah. Uh, but long story short, he goes to the to the bouncer, literally looks at his face and says, they were with me last year, like as in like, you should let him in. The bouncer was just like, nope. And we had to go back home. So that, that was the closest experience I had to, you know, a living legend in my mind, in my heart that just never panned out. And who knows if I'll ever get to see him. <laughs> wow so you're you're really you're kind of escalating to my next questions it's like it was that would have been a great transition to my other one but i'm just curious like um so your international acts at that age um was there like a particular artist or band that where you heard them you were like this is music like whatever age that was like 10 or 11 12 were you listening to the radio or whatever was there like any particular mm. music that you like because i know i have my era like 90s i know exactly what i was listening to like i know you know because for reference my my i i, I kind of had a, me a melting pot of all kind of music like fusion sounds like went from 80s like got some from some relatives they listened to 80s pop 80s r&b and i listened to that good portion but at the time period, i was heavily into like the hip-hop r&b fusion so anything in that vein i listened to like greatly mm -hmm. and love making mixtapes on you know uh hopefully we, we won't get a case 30 years later but we were definitely doing that with the cassette tapes <laughs> get music off the radio or off cds whatever but i like gravitated to that it wasn't until i started it like uh, when I really started pursuing music and when I was taking my piano classes with jazz and classical, that's when my brain was like, oh, wow, so much music to consume. But was there anything your mind like gravitated or your your taste in music gravitated to at that, that age? Yes, the simple answer is this, and I can't ever debate this no matter how much people love or hate this band because it's literally 50-50. But Dave Matthews Band. Now, you know what I got? I got for me. I was like, he seems like a Dave Matthews <laughs> fan. Well, this is all going to make sense because obviously you're a musical buff and you're very informed. But Carter Buford on drums, end of sentence. Okay, so yeah, a lot oh. of that, 
<laughs> so think think about this. So I'm gonna tie in my cultural background to what I've become, and I think Carter, even though he doesn't play gospel music per se, he's got that vibe because his he's known for pocket. If there was anything that he's known for, is his snare drum hitting the two and four like a shotgun. And yes. on top of it, what I didn't know at the time, but as I grew and I got to know Dave Matthews' history, he's a South South African boy. He's got a lot of this percussive element. So his songwriting is based on that, which is why their intros and outros are like 20 minutes long, which is why most people, right. including my wife, can't stand him. But she's had her fair share <laughs> of the vehicle. She doesn't have a choice. But, <laughs> but, right. But uh, I, I really feel like he is literally my number one influence, uh, even till this day. I don't listen to them quite as much just because my tastes have changed a lot. Um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they are literally a huge influence in what I think music should be. Just because his style, he's got that jam band style. And for me as a musician, right, that's like a dream come true to be able to like let loose. The drums do things outside of like that perfect production mentality that you normally have in Nashville, which is what I'm here to do, which is quite interesting. But I, that's what I love about playing drums live uh, is that you get an opportunity to still be disciplined, uh, but actually let your voice be heard in a way that you wouldn't be willing to do necessarily in a studio space. See, and then I'm going to follow up with, is this sort of a two-part question? The first part of this question, I want to ask in terms of, okay, so you're nine, 10 years old. That's where the, it develops. What, what was it? I guess I guess I should ask this one first before I do the two-parter. What was it that was uh, the drum first instrument you gravitated to, or was it a was it separate, or was it just strictly drums? And I guess part or two. Uh, what made you gravitate toward a frame like this? What made you gravitate to playing or playing an instrument? What gave you that inkling to want to play? Uh, the simple answer is God. Um, okay. it, it didn't mean I came out of the gate swinging and I was the winning horse out of the, you know, out of the out the front. I wasn't like this beast, beast, beast. But quite literally, be a lot of my remembrance of when I started, I was always getting dates wrong. And of course, I confirmed with my mom, like, you know, when did all this actually transpire? She said I was nine years old. We had a little bit of musicality in our family background, but nobody did it for a living, let alone even in a decent quality level, you know, and I say that loosely because of course I didn't know my whole family. Uh, but there was a little bit of music, like whether they were good or not, that's a different question. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the thing is, I one day apparently was at church and I was always a very quiet kid. Church ended, people went home, pastor and my parents were in pastor's office, you know, like discussing something. I think at that time my mom was helping them with like finances and things of that nature. And, mm -hmm. uh, they heard somebody playing drums and it was I was already playing like full beats and like very subtle things you wouldn't expect somebody who's never touched a drum kit in their life to be able to do um, so from what they tell me that's exactly how it happened uh, so that's why I kind of generalized it to the answer of it was a God-given gift at, at first but as people like you and I know you know at some point you, if you want to take it to the next level, you got to hone in and there is the personal you discipline that needs to take place that 
you know, God-given gift or not, you're you're gonna stay at that nine-year-old drummer mentality if you don't like put on your big britches and grow up a little bit. I love you said britches. That's <laughs> that's a Midwest well, I guess the southern word too. But Midwest, uh, born and raised Oklahoma, I say still say britches to honor my grandfather because he used to say britches all the time. Not pants, not jeans. Not slacks, not dress pants, but we say britches for everything. Well, so I appreciate but listen, you for, for me, for me, <laughs> what's actually funny about the fact that I even use that word is I say it because I actually think it's funny, not because I want to. So Yeah, I did too. But now it's just a part of my vocabulary. I did it for the exact reason. Like I say pocketbook <laughs> to get laughs, like those old timey words. I love saying those words. But yeah. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, I don't know if I wanted to necessarily add on. Uh, I feel like I'd start ranting without a focused question at this point, but but yeah, oh. I mean, it was definitely just it was a God ordained thing. And as I kept on growing, obviously, I got raised in church. I've specified that obviously too many times at this point, but um, it's it's you know, growing up in the 90s in the church world, uh, in a now, this is also cultural because we didn't sermons were in portuguese they weren't in english mm -hmm. uh and so if we did english based music let's say something really reputable at the time like hill songs or even ron cannoli <laughs> in, in that realm of things uh you know I'm, that's dating it um right <laughs> which i got to play a ron cannoli a few months ago, uh last year believe it or not so that was kind of oh. nostalgic right yeah that was actually really well, cool just like yeah, like what in the world? Like, I mean, I did like the music, but it's not like I'd brag. I wouldn't right. mostly go to high school and be like, bro, rock and holy. No, that, that wasn't it. Right. But I had respect for the craft. In fact, I mean, I can't hate on the music because, first of all, some of the legendary musicians played with him, like Abraham Laboreal, Abraham Laboreal right. on bass. And I, what's crazy is as it progressed, even legendary jazz fusion drummers like Vinny Caliuta played on a Ron Cannoli album. And that's because of Abraham's influence in the, even in the uh, secular world in that regard, because he's highly regarded as a tremendous musician. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, the 90s was just a lot of that. And what's funny is I was raised in a Portuguese home. I wasn't forced to speak it and I was a very lazy kid back then. So my mom never really forced me. So the way I tell people is I spoke English and I got disciplined in Portuguese. So it it was enough to learn. I learned more through her hand than I did her voice. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then like every Portuguese churches have a habit because of the environment of Jersey uh, that at some point, if they have a Portuguese and a Brazilian church, they'll open up like a, a Spanish church to just kind of expand uh, it's people based because there's tons of that in that area. Uh, so I ended up playing in a Spanish church within that Portuguese church. So they they would rent out the building. So it, I like to share this because it's quite delusional when I actually think of what I did in my teenage years. So Sunday, Sunday morning, typically there wasn't service like the American world has, believe it or not. It was Sunday night. But once a month on Sunday morning, we'd have like a communion service. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, we're here for 45 minutes. Let's pretend we're a little spiritual, drink some juice and go home. It was full fledged, music's intense. And it, 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 it was quite life changing. 
But Sunday night was Portuguese service. Monday night was, uh, let's see, Monday night was a Portuguese, uh, I think it was youth band rehearsal. Tuesday night was Spanish church service. Wednesday night was Portuguese service. Thursday night was Portuguese band rehearsal. Friday night was Portuguese youth service. So of course it was my age group. So I was also playing. And then Saturday night, here's the ringer. They called it Bible study. But it was still exactly what happened in every other service. So, uh, <laughs> I, as you could see, I was literally in church six days, seven days a week. Uh, it's mm -hmm. like it was my home away from home. I never, I never actually thought of it in a negative light, and I think that's just because of how I feel called and compelled to live life uh, with my relationship with God. Uh, but that's why. Uh, I am the way I am. And even in the weird ways that I'm weird because as we all know, the church world gets weird quick and that's why people like Kev on stage are blowing up. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah, that's 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 a whole thing. Yeah. Um, the reason why I ask those questions in particular because, you know, because I've talked to so many different musicians and singers and church if you have the privilege to like hone your skills in church, that's like a whole separate thing. In the church, and as a musician, I could go. I could literally write a book on the <laughs> the discipline you have to have in terms of like just in particular. I grew up Baptist. It was like denominational specific for me. It was like very much the reason why. Because the crazy thing is, I learned jazz gospel taught me music like it wasn't like i was like classically trained jazz trained like i used to charts and stuff and scores i could like follow it crazy even though they had hymn books with the things on it but when you're doing devotion like you have the deacon uh sort of the practice of uh back being a back deacons lead the service in the beginning they pray you have the processional into the service and now you know in early 2000 as it progressed it got to you know praise team and after the praise team it was the choirs after the choir the pastor would get up and sing it's like a whole service but I, i'm saying this because uh the experience of all that atmosphere that natural just impact that's what i called it it was like the the bass player was like the maybe the leader of the the musicians and he's like throw out like what song are you about to play and at this point they're they're like at the time they're like in their 50s 60s so they got already like 40 years and that factor for me was intimidating because it's like oh i have to pay for all these skilled musicians and i only know from what i jazz so i would put the only way i understood jazz was playing like I'll play '90s R&B chords during <laughs> altar call because that's the only thing my mind. Like I would play Prince, Scandal. Like I knew the I learned enough of the intro to where I could play it, and I'm like, oh, this is soft. I can. And then it wasn't. Everything started clicking off when I started yeah. saying, oh, this is like blues. Like I, gospel, it's like blues music. Like M chords, whatever. But that long-winded response is that of how I viewed gospel was it was totally different from playing it. When, you start, when you're in it, playing it is different from just a, when I was a kid, 
always fascinated with the musicianship of everything like not just even though my, i wanted to play the drums it was more of like the organ the organ the basses guitarists like everybody's flowing like with like all chemistry was crazy and i'm just observing everything that's going on and it was this old feeling like i want to play the drums or whatever did you have that feeling like was it like that that what made you get up and play that was like i have to play type of feeling oh absolutely i i literally i've been playing a long time so uh whether i look like i'm younger or even older let's just hope it's younger i'm 37 <laughs> years old um <laughs> and so i mean if you do the math you know you're almost at 30 years of playing uh however you want to look at it mm -hmm. and uh, I'm I'm just as in love with it as I was back then. Uh, like even now, having started a career, I I really I only really started taking myself that serious about five years ago, right before I moved here. Um, and but ever since I started, I guess selling myself as a product, right? Because I never really did that before. It was always I always had church jobs, which shouldn't shock you, I suppose, from my history. Uh, uh, I've the, and that's where I pick up audio stuff and I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point but uh, mm -hmm. that's when you know anytime I go to church and I go somewhere especially as killer musicians and the drummers lacking I just want to kick them off so bad I'm just like <laughs> especially especially because I'm a white boy that can play pocket like it, right. I'm really <laughs> I'm really obsessed with it and it's uh, you know it's like I'm like, do you understand what you like? Stop with the fills. You're not even clean at it. It's like, if you want to play jazz fusion, <laughs> you know, go practice a little more. Because as you know, so here's the thing: if we're gonna talk about the whole jazz fusion complexity over song with lyric when it comes to the gospel world, there's very tasteful ways to add some pretty interesting, let's just say, drum fills that shouldn't distract the song. And I think that's something right. that's very misunderstood in the unprofessional underdeveloped amateur that wants to claim they're a professional but they think they're hot just because they stay on the click but here's what's crazy you can stay on the click and feel like garbage i mean i've personally oh, yeah. been there you know right. so they're doing all these fills and their goal you know it's funny at the moment but they do it in service i've seen drummers try to flip the beat and do some type of odd time signature so that the vocalists suffer so these musicians <laughs> that i was influenced by you know, it's all these gospel cats from Columbus, uh, and they all kind of gravitate towards the Atlanta area. Uh, uh -huh. And I'm just like, you know, I'm a white boy from Jersey sitting with these cats, and I'm like, what is happening with my life right now? And what's funny is I was there for <laughs> three plus years, and, uh -huh. you know, I would play once in a while, but usually I was just the B or C team drummer because it wasn't my genre-specific thing. But of course, I was studying them left and right. We'd always hang out. We'd go to Guitar Center. The drummer at the church was so idiotically good. He, he plays almost every instrument. But we'd go to Guitar Center to just go buy some drumsticks or something for the church. They Back then, so this is early 2000s. And even then, you go to Guitar Center, it's like a VHS tape of some legendary drummer uh, in the drum room. And there was this one Japanese drummer. His name is Akira Jimbo. He's really world-renowned as well. And he, mm -hmm. he plays insane stuff stuff in like 11 whatever time signatures and it he makes it look so easy and i can't even do the math when he's playing kind of thing and then the drummer comes to church the next day and literally throws it into a song and i'm like 
like what? Like he perfectly <laughs> executed it, and he didn't even pre-warn me. I w- like just imagine how cheesy this looks. So he's on the kit. I'm sandwiched between him and the bass player. My job as the white boy, very unqualified for this style of music, is to hit play on the NPC. Okay, so <laughs> not only was I not qualified to play drums in that genre, I wasn't even good enough to <laughs> build a loop. I just had to hit play. <laughs> That's but, funny. Uh, but yeah, I'm, but what was really, so honestly, what was really special about that season was the fact that who in the world that is not even playing an actual instrument on stage gets to sit right next to the drummer and learn in real time. So I was oh. so grateful for that season now, looking back, because that's kind of like getting an internship at in any profession, being able to sit right. with the best of the best and not have to pay any money for it other than suffer with your time. So, right. uh, but yeah, I, I don't even know if I answered your question, but when I get excited, you I did. Kind of rabbit trail. <laughs> no, you're fine. Listen, it's the therapist to talk about this. I think my therapist, <laughs> You're so sad because I, I get that you're fine, basically. They said it's something to do with uh, the nervousness. She broke it down because she's because I said I kept I felt like I was rambling to her and she was fine, and so I had that same yeah. thing. You're fine, Eddie. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But you, you kind of woke something up and said that because that's how I learned, that's how I got good, and I think that's what becomes innate. Like when you're talented in terms of being not even just talented, but gifted is it becomes such a practice. I think just observing musicians, like if you're really trying to be like a student of music and you get someone's doing, you're like not necessarily want to play like them, but you just get inspired. Like I want to be just as good. I was that same way with the musicians because, again, they were veteran and then. There was one drummer that it was like I think a couple of uh, drummers that were my age. That's what made me want to play because they were my age. I'm like, well, if they could do it, I could do it too. And the female equation didn't even enter my head. Uh, I just wanted to play because it was mostly men. I think we had a uh, female organist, but it was anybody females outside of that playing drums or whatever. But I just wanted to play because you know, blase, blase. But watching this one drummer. He would just so, if you ever seen those, I'm sure you have those, like you were just explaining <laughs> the drummer, the way they're just effortlessly good. And it's like, yeah. what they're doing, it looks like, it looks, they make it look easy, but, but it's complicated. Cause when I try to do it, I'm like, how did he do that? And I would just observe, I would just spend so much time just watching it to where I just developed my own sound. It's like, oh, he's playing with ease. He's just making it fun. And I remember, I think I asked him, he's just, I'm just playing it how I feel it. And like, oh, it's just an easy thing that comes natural. And when I my next question in terms of, I guess, playing in church, that development from, okay, we go through the preteen years. Before you even think about doing it full time, because I'm sure that was a journey, like you said, you could see like five go. But in terms of, was it something to where you wanted to like, learn it as good as you could to be the best or because for me i didn't start accepting a musician as a occupation title until i got like 10 years in that was my thing i was like i have to do this at least 10 years to to even call my because i never called myself a musician through that even though i played for like since i was like 
about the same age as you, nine, ten years old. But I'm like, like, I get ten mark. Was there any period, whether it feels high school or just your coming of age of like 1920, where you felt like I'm a musician? Like it was like I understand my, my style, understand who I am as a musician. Did you get to that point, or or was that for you? So believe it or not, I got to that point early. Um, I wouldn't say because I knew or didn't know I w was great at it or not. Like, but I had already made up my mind probably by the time I was 15, 16, that that was something I wanted to approach. Um, and I don't know. I, I always had an inclination to take things very serious. This was the it, going back to what I, I said earlier, I kind of spewed out there. I was very lazy as a kid. Uh, you know, I was the type of kid that my dad wanted me to go to a hardware store. I'd baby my way out because my sister's three years older. And uh, mm -hmm. my mom would be like, you know, leave my little baby alone. And then my sister ends up being like my dad's best friend. And, but, you know, and I'm the guy, just do it. And the thing is, like, me not going to the hardware store wasn't because I had something better to do. It was like I just wasn't interested. And I don't, I didn't have a lot of passions in my life at all. Uh, I was very simple-minded. My son is like that now as well. Uh, but like, uh, music was all I could think of, literally. Uh, now, to be honest, okay, so I'm the type of guy, you tell me I can't or shouldn't do something, now I'm going to do it. Right. Uh, and anybody that knows me understands, like, it, it becomes this very serious thing. It's like, because this is what's interesting about my upbringing while i'm dealing with the world of immigrants and when you think of the simplicity of that you think people who sacrificed a lot to travel far and go into a territory that they've never experienced so from the sense of entrepreneurship and sacrifice what better example my dad immigrated when my mom and dad got married in portugal he literally immigrated to new jersey for over a year from the moment they got married so he could prepare the way for her to come Okay, so oh, okay. from the perspective of sacrifice, knowing what hard work looks like, we can't negate that, Like, right? So mm -hmm. I say all that because when I was a teenager, there were many instances when I really started getting passionate about, man, I want to do this professionally for a living. Because the limitations of people's exposure, a lot of people's success is tied to their mental exposure. And that's a lot of my recent history as to why I've started becoming a little bit more successful. Uh, people were always being negative about my dreams. They were always like, like, I, I wouldn't say they would just be like, you're an idiot, like, don't do it. But it was more like, that's cute. You know, yeah, that that, that may happen, but it's probably not like that's not possible. Because keep in mind, I didn't even go to an American church and I'm expecting myself to show up in Nashville and I'll play all this American styled music and people know who I was. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting uh, sides to that. But uh, honestly, that's what drove me even more because I was like, okay, you're telling me I can't do this and I'm going to live this stagnant life that seemingly has no alternate options if I don't take a risk. And mm -hmm. not knowing what that looked like, because keep in mind, I was a lazy kid. Like, Lord, if you, if I took that journey at 17, I would have ended up homeless very quickly. I didn't even know how to <laughs> hold a job down. You know, like, I right. mean, literally, I have, I have a tremendous work ethic now uh, over the last 12 years or so. But back then, I can honestly say, like, my mom was terrified 
when I went to college because she's probably pretty sure if I wasn't going to die, I was going to be homeless. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I get you. But yeah, that's my drive. My drive was some of that. And I promise you, till this day, I have flashbacks to those moments. And I, I'm grinning on the inside of the stuff I've been able to do. Uh, that is still a, a work in progress. Like there, mm. some people may call them small wins, but part of what's made me successful recently is I've learned to uh, to fall in love with the the process and every win, put, putting it on its pedestal that it deserves. It's all a gold medal when you're getting something you shouldn't have had. Oh, listen, you just opened up. Listen, I, this is why I love having conversations with musicians. I made this podcast specific. I mean with different fields of entertainment in terms of the producing and acting and film but the core of it is just I love talking to musicians so singers is cool you know but musicians this is why I'm talking to people like you because you, you get it and it's like I literally it's like you're speaking my life because I relate to that 100% because I feel like it's just now being embraced because with social media age for the past, I want to say eight to ten years, it's it's really uh, vamped up. You know, I think Instagram didn't really hit its stride till about 2014 ish, 2015 ish. So I say about the past seven, eight years in the other, as TikTok is growing and whatnot, and people are trying to adapt that formula of the other social media pages. But I think it's a uh, musicianship is more accepted now because people are showcasing their skills on videos and that's how they get opportunities for merch and you know positive but all the stuff that comes with that but growing up me like the 90s like in a church element when you're a musician you could play all day in church like they'd be like hey come play at my service mm-hmm. you got a six o'clock service whatever whatever in this city this town mm-hmm. it's 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 you know the the church world they'll love you but the yeah. moment you step out of and like, I want to do this professionally with whatever job are. That's devil. It was always a, a devil yeah. element of like you're walking into hellfire. It was never yeah. accepted unless it was in church. Like my family, they 100% supported me, bought me instruments once I wanted to play. Got me anything I needed. But once I was like, oh, I want to do this professionally. Fresh out of high school, didn't have a job recession was about to, literally about to happen when i was in college and so mm-hmm. they were like oh you can't get a job in journalism to write too and they were like you can't do that magazines at the time you know as they are now they were dying away and whatnot and they were like you can't find a job being a musician this 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 is the third and a lot a lot of people that i know i for that very reason because people will will do exactly what you just said just just kill your dreams you know it's mm-hmm. a lot of dream killers in the world mm-hmm. but i kind of music was like a sacred thing for me i kind of took it in like i said i became, i like wanted to observe absorb so much music like learn every capacity of it before i got to that point to say i'm a musician because i feel like it was so much learning that i had to do I'm glad I did that because you know, because you can get so ego crazy. Because if if I got if I started doing it on a social media age to where I started and getting, I think the most of the problem which you were hitting on in terms of the church, some they have to pat on the back and they like to play for other musicians. And I think that's where they get stuck 
in terms of church because a lot of times church musicians they're the ones trying to get the professional gigs and so they don't know anything because they don't understand rates they don't understand yeah. you know yeah. the things you negotiate when you do a tour whether if you're a backing musician or a tour musician they don't understand his level mm-hmm. and so they'll come from the church world bringing that energy of so through this whole set that I'm doing, end up getting fired. Uh-huh. But once, if you're trying to upstage the lead vocalist or whoever the band or whoever, if you're trying to upstage, they don't want you around because it's about yeah. They're on the ticket. That's what they're paying to see. They're not. And if you're good enough, yeah. if you have the people, they don't understand that. Once you get the pocket, you're going to get those moments to solo. But they don't get that because they want to show off in front of such and such, and even just. So hole in the wall, they'll they'll show off in front of other musicians because they might know a bassist yeah. or somebody's in the audience. They're like, oh, I want to get on their band or something. So they'll solo through the whole thing. But what, when you were talking about that, you Eddie started lighting up because it it is such a hard, especially being a professional musician, trying to be in that space in the summer age because they expect you armor like even when I play because I play other instruments but I just love that it's so much quality to a record especially if you understand the whatever that integrity piece is of the song like focuses focuses on the guitar what is my part doing and if it's the center it's like okay I can keep pocket but I can once I get once you get the pocket down then you can do the extra stuff in there it's just about the placement of it but what I want to turn terms of man i have so many questions for you my mind is like racing it's like asking this asking that it's like buzzing my head going because you just you just bat me up to ask more but in terms of the way you approach music when you were a kid versus now i guess what's that space uh i guess the respect of that what that look like to you in terms of like this was what i was was it all because i remember you said focused on the pocket was that always the center or what were you diverted to like oh i want to impress other musicians but was it always okay, so when you get this song right in terms of the take because i'll be honest it was it wasn't um uh, i guess i like the the reaction of others and so sometimes I would kind of focus on that, but then I would, it would, when I started playing the drums first, it was more of the trying to do the blah, 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 hit all the fills and whatnot. But it wasn't until I started, I learned the piano fully. That's when I started centering and it's like, oh, those different areas. You as a kid, what, what, from, from then to now, what, what, what changed in terms of uh, how you interpret music? Okay. So let me think, uh, the, I would say I, I've always had a professional mindset. I don't understand how I was graced to naturally just think that way. Like even in my like very underdeveloped years, uh, if I was going to learn a drum part from any album or song that I was a big fan of, I was going to play it exactly as is and nothing was to be altered because how I saw it was if they were great enough to get paid for it, then they made a good enough decision on how they tracked it, right? So 
One of my mm-hmm. biggest pet peeves right now is all these people in the church world that are always regretting songs. I'm like, they spend tens of thousands of dollars to make it a masterpiece for what they consider to be a masterpiece, right? Whether we like it or not, right. it's not the point. But mm-hmm. for what it is in that genre, that's considered to be the best they could have made it. And for you mm-hmm. to think it needs to be reinterpreted as if it didn't have enough thought put into it, kind of tying to your pop mentality, I also love mm-hmm. pop music because it's very overthought. But that's a different mm-hmm. discussion for another day. Like every part oh. is meticulously thought of. Like every little guitar riff, every quarter note of space. Like, and that's why I love. This is a terrible sidetrack, but but that's why I love certain artists like Shawn Mendes and all these other really big pop artists because mm-hmm. when you feel their song hit a speaker, especially really good ones like these back here. Uh, it's like there's just nothing like it. It's like it's like hearing a song that's magically performed, and even the little reverb tail at the fate of the song, you're like, you're left breathless. You're like, they even thought about how long that decay lasted. It's like people mm-hmm. don't understand that it's not happenstance that creates a magical song or a moment. It's all very intentional. And if you stop allowing your success to be tied to the luck of something coming together and actually Mm -hmm. intentionally going for it, you're going to see a lot more wins than losses. Uh, I don't know why I'm going motivational because that wasn't even the question. (laughs) uh, I get you. I am these days. I'm telling (laughs) you, I'm my best friend and I'm my biggest motivator. And this is how I stay joyful is literally if if I feel anything negative coming on, I'm just like, bro, you can do this. You got this. But so forgive me for really (laughs) leaving that question. No, you're fine. You're fine. Listen, I get 100% what you're saying. I, and, and that's why I, I wanted to have you on because I knew you were going to give me so many broad topics to talk about in this uh, interview. Interview session, just a conversation. That's what I call it. Because I just like for it to be free flow and just be as honest as I possibly can without critiquing. Because a lot of uh, musicians, uh, when they fall I've been vocal about this on different platforms on Instagram. Just recently, I was talking. You think the simple things that make you a great or just a working musician wouldn't be this simple, but it is. I basically I saw I reposted uh, something a veteran musician posted in terms of I can't. I just uh, I can't think of it verbatim because it was pretty long, but just the the post was hey when you get music you need to learn it before you get to rehearsal you don't need to figure it out while you're there you're not at rehearsal to jail that's that you're there to already know you're adding on to what you've already learned and it's about the chemistry between the musicians and singers was it adam blackstone is it adam blackstone like the md it was a few Been, but it was a few musicians that reposted. That's why I snagged it from somebody's page and reposted because I saw it. It was everywhere, but I'm sure it was. His. But yeah, it's 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 something that simple. You wouldn't think that you would have to post, but in our world, that's what it is, and that annoys me. That's probably my top pet peeve with being a musician. It's like I remember. 
this is how I was raised. This is how I got into the music. Like I said, I grew up, they, uh, the musicians that mentored me, they were, their prime was the 60s and 70s. So as you can imagine, they're used, some, some of those musicians that recorded studio live, they did most of those. They wasn't a, oh, you're going to get this right. We're going to do this seven times. No, you're going to get it right the first time we do it. And if we stumbled, we had the, it stopped immediately and we started at the top of the song. It wasn't no, oh no, we're going to go through. No, you're going to get it right. We're going to play, we're going to bring this back to yeah. the top and you're going to get it right. And it just annoys me so much when musicians just, and it's not just younger. I can't even blame the younger musicians or singers. It's some veteran artists that do it too. It's like, come prepared. Like, how hard is that? What were you doing? from the point and sometimes it'll be months in advance before we actually meet it's like mm-hmm. for the past two to three months you haven't rehearsed none of this music or you mm-hmm. didn't go through it and so well, you're hitting on so much stuff that i want to talk about in terms of and, and my thing is i don't like to because musicians think you're bashing when you bring up obvious because yeah. sometimes it, it's that they feel like you're pointing them out i'm like no it's just it's a business at the end of the day if you're doing this professionally and it's like yeah. that's what gets you the gigs i tell all the secrets the musicians mm-hmm. it's easy gems it's just punctuality the perseverance the conceit of the gig just being punctual will get you the job most i'll say 99.8 percent of my job was me showing up and me showing mm-hmm. up Oh, she shows up all time. We need to get her for this gig mm-hmm. over here. And then I go to yeah. that gig. They're like, "Oh, she sh- she does. She knows the material. Hey, you want to work with this? Do you want to write? You write music. You do this. And it's oh, I get studio work now. Can you read music? Can you do this? It's like yeah. And then you show up. That's pretty much yeah, life of a musician is. is just showing up and being punctual. But you think those were. Ideas, yeah, <laughs> but no, it's true. a lot of musicians don't get that. that. But I was going to ask you, you seem like because I watched some of your your videos you have online of you playing it again, your pocket. So I just want to tell you that in public. I don't know if I've, I'm, I, I'm sure I posted it on your comments, but I just want to tell you publicly on this podcast, your pocket is incredible, and I'm a fan of pocket because I feel like. With drumming, it's like for me, I want to hear all that. It's cool if you can shed. Like, I, I, I do it a time or two, but I get bored. That's boring. To me, Pocket, especially if the song is complex enough to where that's why I love 70s records, specifically funk records, because the the, the, the rhythm section was always busy. And I love it. I like, like, if I can, my, my approach to music has always been if I can play it, I don't want to play it. I want something that's a challenge to where it's like, yeah. like I'm sitting here, like, like trying to figure it out in my head. How, how did they do that? And so yeah. it's easy for me to play it. I'm, I'm uninterested in playing it. That's my approach. Yeah. To, but what's your approach to like playing a song? Like what goes through your head? Because for me, growing up, it was hard for me to decipher certain songs. If it had a lot of the Pacific and gospel, since that's your your genre of expertise i should say uh i always try to figure out what the what whatever part my part was but i would get lost in the song and then it was a basis that told me hey just 
take it easy and just take it all everything in and once i did that yeah. i could compartmentalize okay what's the guitar doing what's the drums doing yeah. how did you interpret like before you got ready to play it on a service like how, how do you break down music before you play it uh for me one of the biggest things a, a drummer is supposed to be a lot more authoritative than most people uh are actually being or doing i don't know how to phrase that uh meaning mm -hmm. even if i'm not the md i ought to be directing the songs um i think perfectly placed drum fills are so underrated it's not even funny like mm -hmm. in fact most of the compliments i've gotten recently and this isn't about bragging at all because i don't usually get compliments but it's when i've gotten oh, them man. it was people being impressed with how even if they don't know the song let's say they came and they were a fill-in and they weren't comfortable and they weren't prepared or something like that how easy their job was made because not only because i knew the song and was ready but because the way i played the song interpreted what was coming next um between that my next most exciting thing i like to try to figure out super subtle tasteful stuff this is this is the part of music that becomes fun to me instead of okay i learned a song am i doing pocket or is there all this rhythmic element going on do i know where i need to put all the fill placements and where are my dynamics okay that's the basics of a song for drums but i love i don't know why i'm obsessed with this i have no clue why but i love accenting vocals when i can like oh. i believe it or not once again may, maybe you're shocked but i like rap music <laughs> but i'm shocked like, one, <laughs> one of my favorite uh like i i don't necessarily have a a favorite rapper from my whole lifetime obviously rap became big time since i grew up but like right. uh eminem was always a favorite of mine and obviously as a drummer that kind of rhythmic element come on there's just nothing like that it's like how yeah. could i not shed on an eminem track it's one of those things he well, has a lot of space of yeah he has a lot of space in it yeah yeah well i don't know if you've ever heard of uh have you heard of nf no okay well he's like a I don't know. He it's funny because he he kind of has a Christian background, but he he's not necessarily a Christian rapper. His lyrics are very clean, but that's just coincidence. It's not. I don't know that it's intentional, other than he just doesn't like to cuss. But his he's a great storyteller, like Eminem, which is why I've always been a big fan of Eminem. I like that he can take a simple person like me and literally take me on a journey. And whether or not I like all the f words is a different story, but like. <laughs> There's no denying that by the time he was done telling that story, that you were left kind of like messed up in a good way. You're like, wow. Like, if there was ever a way to orchestrate music and lyric, it's like that. Well, anyway, this NF rapper, very similar, very percussive rapping. His music's very emotional, almost like movie film score, like Hans Zimmer kind of stuff. Uh, so it's very energetic, mm -hmm. very intense. And even when I'm like shedding over music like that, I'm always thinking, what is the vocal doing? And how can I accent a phrase that they're trying to hit home? Like, and I don't know if it's because I've, I've always been a big fan of gospel musicians, but a lot of the R&B and rap bands, obviously they come from the church world. 
Uh-huh. And, you know, even like the Ricky Minor days and now the Adam Black, uh, Blackstone days and all that, Blackstone. all these impeccable house bands, uh, you know, I'm listening to what makes them special and outside of the impeccable talent, it's just the way they make a vocal come to life. Like, if you think about like, he's obviously, before he started blowing up the way he is now and pretty much doing anything that happens, like Grammys, all of it. Yeah, he, you know, he was on tour with Justin Timberlake, and that's when I first mm-hmm. kind of got exposed to him. And I was just flabbergasted by like the musicality, and I loved how even like the the melodic content, another thing very underappreciated, like the melodic stuff they're doing uh, on top of the vocal to emphasize the vocal. Like that's just where my heart mm-hmm. is at. Because at the end of the day outside of even the business side of things it is about the vocal 99 percent of the time if you don't want it to be about the vocal be a smooth jazz musician and also (laughs) right don't don't complain when you can't make a living off of it okay so you want you want to make money okay then go do the gig and shut up let the vocal have their time and if you don't right. want to make money and you or you get lucky, you get to play with like the David Sanborns and the small group of people that actually make money, you know, there, there's a time and place for it. But as you you know, you're right. laughing, I'm laughing inside right now, too, because people are so unrealistic. Like, stop telling yourself right. you can make money in all aspects of genre because you can't like there's right. there's some genres you have to just be so in love with it that it, it's like the childhood you but you get to at least put food on the table and still do it for a living that is that is a present day reality great luckily i caught on to that early enough to where even in my challenges i have now as an entrepreneur that when i don't see wins coming my way i'm not like depressed and like feeling right. like i'm not being successful because once again my my success is not predicated on how big that check is coming in but it's actually in the success of the product that I actually just touched, you know, right. it, and like, honestly, this may sound real fruity and cheesy, but like it's, it music is about impact. And like when I play, if I can make one person bob their head because of that snare is hitting so hard, like I've right. already won. I, and I'm not saying that to be like, like this really cheesy NBC moment. Like this is like, Right. Literally where my heart is. Like while I am after a check and I'm always entering new business ventures for the sake of living bigger and better, however you want to call that, than I did right. last year. My heart, I'm still a child childlike wonder when it comes to music. Like I really my goal till the day I die is to f- maintain my love for music while still finding a way for business to improve in music uh mm-hmm. and that's not easy to do obviously right. you're gonna know that you know that reality as well it's like you you will enter some seasons because of the growth that you do get caught up and distracted by the dollars and cents and that i believe that's necessary so that you can discern mm-hmm. and figure out what actually matters in life because at the end of the day you and i probably both agree that that's not where joy and happiness comes from because you could have right. the money and be playing with the biggest douchebags in the world and I promise you, I've, oh. done, I've done enough tour buses now that I understand how important the hang is over the gig itself. Right. Oh, you, like I said, you keep tapping into so many different conversations that I have with musicians all the time. Uh, before I circle back to what we were talking about in terms of you saying the accent 
and also comment on this real quick before you before I forget it. Yeah. You talking about that is such an important thing because that's and it kind of circles back to what we were talking about with the question I asked you in the beginning, but when you talk about the accent it's literally whatever artist I play for, whatever I'm trying to interpret it's a feeling with it. Like Rick James, I quote it all the time in his biography book. It popped out of my head. It's such a, it's an entertaining book by itself alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that needs to be a biopic. But <laughs> uh, besides yeah. that, he has a quote in there and it jumps out. It spoke to me. It was like, I need more fire in my rock. And before he got to that point, he was sort of critiquing all of the acts because this was like i want to say early mid 70s like he was in canada for a minute you know with bob dylan he's a lot in a lot of bands he had a lot of stuff going on and all those like his peers were like bob dylan was becoming you know famous it was just all he saw basically saw all his peers passing him and becoming famous and you know getting a start that he wanted and he was just critiquing all these different bands like the doors um bob dylan all these different artists he would and he, and he wasn't just critiquing he thought out in depth reasons why this band was good and what if he liked them or not he was like giving in depth and before he made that quote and it jumped out because i'm like that's how i have to feel music it has to and he basically i feel it at all times and when you said that about the voice I literally, um, for the past like 15 years, I have this thing to where I fade out all the music because I was getting fed up with trying to hear. I'm like, well, let me just fade out all this music and really get the. And sometimes I won't even. I get the feeling from what the vocals are doing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of funk bands, the melodies were so melodic and so infectious that they were carrying the rhythm. And so I get like a lot of Shaka Khan records. They are rhythmic because her voice, she uses a voice as an instrument. So it was easy for me to. I have it. I have one of the songs on there. It's hard for me to explain it, but I think you'll get what I'm saying. Yeah. Basically, basically she like, I, I just fade out the vocal. So where I could just I mean fade out the instrumentation so I can hear the vocals, and that's what I get if I'm playing integrity of the songs. I want to feel it, the vocals, like what they're trying to interpret. But it's it's a lot of musicians, like you were saying, like they think it's a me show. It's like I want to so, and they think get into the next gig that I have to soul my way to it, and they don't understand. You're gonna get those opportunities. I hate to keep reiterating that, but they feel like if they don't solo, then they're not gonna get a chance to perform in front of other people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's probably gonna get you fired doing what you're doing now. But that's true. But yeah. but what you were saying, it it just hit home because you know, I feel like the the beauty of music it, it has to be a constant when you're because I know it's a lot. Of, which is that play on social media it's like get i don't think really a lot of them are students it's only because if you ask some of them they only learn for so many only listen to music in its entirety so i don't even think they have a palette but I, instead of i try to teach that's that's where i feel like i the next question i have for you is just 
what what's the, I, I you saying uh, your legacy and what you want to leave but in terms of the next generations that are coming up in the social media age because we know i think you know social media is going to be around for our next 50 plus years because it's mm-hmm. technology from when i was a kid to now now it's changed like like we're so like there is kids now rediscovering cassette tapes and cds it's like i feel like i'm a false at this point because it's like this is my life like literally like my life this is what i knew for a good 15 years of my life was yeah like we didn't like when i was growing up when i was 17 my first one i was i think the the nokia phone the the front app was Nokia phone the one with the snake on it, the snake game, that was my first cell phone. And it progressed the flip phone. When I, by the time I got in college, the flip phone was the, was the, like, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like 20, 20 years, I was in college, 2021. And it's like, oh, and then iPhone came, I think. Yeah. 2011, 12. I was 20, I was in my 20s when all this yeah. stuff progressed. So they're experiencing, because it's, it's not like they don't have to work a tablet as soon as they get out of their mama's womb. So it's like, <laughs> so I think, the, well, getting to just playing around a little bit, but the legacy, what I've realized that the generation before me didn't do, they honestly didn't really teach. It was more of a, I, I, my, I say my generation, like the ones, the, the, the late millennials, because I'm in that millennial, but in our 30s, 40s, you don't really do that i think you have to really show them like and we learn from criticism like we can take criticism kids now they don't really take criticism is this a whole generation it's a little bit harder because it was like beat it they beat it in her, our heads to get right it wasn't we didn't have an easy approach and i think now with technology now it's easy to have that if that makes sense to do it right, like do it that way, you know what I mean? Because yeah, it, it parenting is a little bit not saying soft that you don't have to soft parent, but it wasn't that intense. It was an intense thing to learn music when I was growing up. Kids now, I pull up on look on YouTube to get tutorials on how to play stuff. Like it's not a somebody standing over you like, oh, you didn't yeah. Yeah. again because. Mm-hmm. Literally talking to somebody learning how to play something on YouTube. They learn, I think two or three chords on YouTube. So mm-hmm. I think what changes I think if we don't criticize them or bash them saying, Oh, your music isn't good, it's teaching them the art of music. They're they're more I think kids are impressionable, I think, at any age. I think if you just teach them correctly they'll listen to you but what what do you look in terms of like moving forward in terms of because that's my goal is to just this podcast is just to teach it the right way like if you don't know an artist like i'm not going to bash you like how do you know cool in the game like how do you know george duke like how do you know who steely dan is the doobie brothers like i don't know instead of me having that because that process is very i think self uh self-righteous i say and it's a little bit indignant to because no more than some like, that approach to trying to teach somebody nobody's gonna learn that way but i want to ask uh how do you approach to teaching young 
whether it's your kids or somebody else's kids, but just moving forward in terms of how I think as a collective musician is just the whole into how we should be teaching. Because I feel like if we don't teach it, the people that make it, nobody else is going to, the ones behind us that's yeah. coming up, they're not going to learn. So what's your approach to teaching uh, and uh, the knowledge of music? Well, I think it's important. Um, I've I've done my fair share of giving drum lessons, so um, even though I'm, I don't like to intentionally do lessons. I've gone through phases where, like, if enough parents were like, "Hey, will you teach my children?" and it happens to be around the same season, then I embarked on that journey and did what I could when I did. But basically, uh, I think tying back to what you said, which was, you know there was something about being able to have somebody over your shoulder checking you on what you think is the right thing and what i mean by that is mm -hmm. if if we're living in this youtube age where yes you can get videos but those videos are being perfectly executed and what you perceive as the way you're learning it you don't have somebody much like a drum instructor that's there on the spot breaking you of bad habits that you don't realize you're forming uh if like somebody being there to chest bump you uh in the midst of what you think is killing mm -hmm. is just as important as the fact that you're willing to experiment in that anyway let, let me mm -hmm. give like a really weird vague example uh when i was at a i was working doing audio at a mega church uh for about four or five years before i moved to nashville and the head of audio he's basically my audio mentor shane judan he he wasn't a musician he's not a drummer but because of how much he cared about audio sounding good, especially with drums themselves, because as you know, mm -hmm. it's a very complex instrument to mic up. Uh, mm -hmm. He was very obsessed. In fact, he knew almost he knew more about drums than I did in the sense of what it's made of, what makes it sound this way or that way. He did so much corporate audio work that like he there was almost no backline kit. He hasn't literally paired up with random microphones like it's almost like it's disgusting how much experience he has like in that realm but uh but like the what i was going with that is i always till this day i've always had tremendous respect for him and when i would get to play at that church periodically even though i was there to do sound i would tell like he knew we had a very open relationship and i was willing to take critique even if i didn't necessarily <laughs> appreciate it at the moment like I would be in services where I thought I killed and maybe I did and it seemed to go very well and I felt good about it. But then as we all know, we have mm -hmm. those days where we think we killed and then there's the one person mm -hmm. that reminds you you didn't. Uh, but what's right. crazy is he mm -hmm. was there in my life for time back to having somebody, you know, looking over your shoulder, making sure you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. uh, he was that guy that kept me humbled, if that makes sense. Uh, it was yeah. kind of like, okay, you played well. He's like, I loved everything you did, but your snare was inconsistent. Like, it was almost like he got me to realize that my job doesn't just make music. It affects how audio turns out. It's like what we each do on that stage is much bigger than just the song we're servicing. I mean, isn't that like freaking profound? Like, yeah. we're, we're not just affecting the song. We're affecting the sound, which then affects how good or bad it translates to the audience like like we're only as good mm -hmm. as the weakest link and as we all know that have done this professionally like 
you could have a killer band if your audio guy sucks it doesn't like <laughs> it, it don't even matter like yeah you may feel good right like, the band's real tight and funky you know people can understand oh man this band's really locked in but it can still sound like garbage in house and you're just kind of like the emotion of the song's not being translated properly and that's i started gaining a lot of respect uh not just for the audio world in general but just understanding like we need mentors in our lives and if we don't have somebody they're kicking us in the pants when we think we're the hottest thing that ever existed we're basically taking ourselves down a path that is literally wasting our potential because we we think we're accomplishing something not realizing we're actually taking a detour much like half of my conversations in this interview like we're actually taking detours that they're tickling what it is we're supposed to be accomplishing but at the same time we're just halfway doing it like do i want to be known as an okay drummer or do i want to be a freaking beast i want to be a beast whatever that means to certain mm -hmm. people but the only way to be a beast in certain people's eyes is to give them what they want so we have to understand we're servicing the song we're giving the record label what they want they're like it's it's actually so much more less about you than we actually realize uh yes. maybe that's a good way to put that but like man the the, I, the way you had said it you know like imagining that creepy piano teacher with their arms around the girl's shoulders on the piano like while it is creepy the whole point of that's supposed to be to like actually keep an eye on your hands but the i'll okay. end with this with that question if if you think you have nothing to perfect just give up now like if you don't realize how much more of a student you actually are than a professional give up now like seriously uh mm -hmm. if you could be playing something perfectly it's great but you like my drum teacher i had a drum teacher for two years when i was uh, in high school i mean just about the time i thought i i became this beast in whatever it was he was teaching me it was the moment mm -hmm. he was like okay you're you're being fluent in what i've taught you now let's make sure your snare is always consistent or your ghost notes aren't hidden right or your play your you're, the way you're hitting that crash, you're ripping my face off. It's like, there's always something to improve and always something to perfect. And you're gonna have golden moments where what you just did is a masterpiece. But I mean, any experienced person knows that's like maybe five times in your lifetime where you're gonna be Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect. Like it just, man, uh, I think that's why people like you and I get along real easily and we have an easy time conversating. I, I always put it this way, we're students of life we're not just students mm -hmm. of our craft. I think when we're very observant people and we look forward to learning from other people, even not in our profession, we immediately advance in life. Like you become better, like in a, in a, mot a cheesy motivational kind of way. If I become better, everybody around me becomes better. So what I'm doing yes. is beyond me. My wife, when she gets a better version of me, hopefully 12 months from now, our relationship should expand. It should become better. It should be better communication. We should love each mm -hmm. other a little bit more than we did 12 months prior. Because, yes. interesting enough, I'm not working on, hey, you wife, be better for me to be better. No, I be better so that you be better. Like, it's taking ownership. It's, and that's just, that's not just for my, I'm a man. Like, that, literally, like us as humans, if we stop generalizing, certain types of people that's their job and we actually realize that we're each responsible for our own growth that'll all translate to what we do professionally personally and ultimately just everybody in life that we encounter and i, I really do believe we 
we draw onto us that which we believe we are. Like, man, it's just, mm-hmm. it, I can't never go back to the cheesy motivational stuff, bro, because it's like, it, <laughs> it's just, it's a thing that's very, it, it sounds hokey, it sounds like it's not a thing, but bro, I'm telling you, like, a lot of what's in scripture is accurate, and honestly, a lot of the business world, when they're not Christian or saved, they're implementing scripture. It, they're implement. Let, let me put it this way: they're implementing biblical principles that they themselves can't negate. Works, you know. So right. there's there are loose truths in in life for sure. We've all learned that as we get older. But there are a few hard truths that you cannot bypass. And that's why when we get real stern with people with those truths, they may not like it. But meanwhile, they're fading to the back while the rest of the people are succeeding because they chose to believe that that truth is the only path you can take. Like, there's just some things you can't ignore when it comes to growing in anything. You're, you're hitting on the, the a perfect transition uh, to my next question, but just uh, you something in terms of, uh, before I ask you this question, when you were talking, you had said that about, you have like those five moments. I had a moment to where it was imperfect in somebody else's eye I mean to the audience's eyes if that makes sense and I have those moments a lot uh, specifically you said that the only reason why I'm bringing this up because just to, to just to confirm what you're saying uh, I did this documentary series I'm still onto, and we were doing a cover song and my, my question is going to segue to what you do in terms of the audio it's so much that goes into that it's such a detailed job and I didn't realize how detailed it was because <laughs> I'm over project, right? So I'm like the MD, I'm producing this documentary film. So it's so many different aspects of the job we're shooting a production that you have to focus on. Okay, we got the crew, crew, crew here. We got to start the budget, the timing, everything. I'm focused on that and then be creative. In the process of being creative, we're hitting we're doing the, the tape. It's going phenomenal. And it gets to the point in the song, we're about to do the outro, and I wanted to do a rim shot. It wasn't until I did the rim shot that I realized, oh, this snare is mic Because, you know, typically most drummers are right-handed. Yeah. And so, you know, play with, you have the hi-hat with the, the, the hi-hat with the right hand, and some of them hit it with the snare. I play left-handed. <laughs> and so... The mic was was going to do the rim shot. I usually do it on side, but they had it mic to where it was like it was for a right-handed person. It wasn't until I was getting ready to do the rim shot to where I was like, oh, this isn't mic. It's literally the mic is in the way with me trying to do the rim shot because it's on the wrong side. And I didn't realize this until we're taping. And we're on a budget. The producer wants to wrap this up in the next hour or so. We still have other stuff to cut so i can't again i have sort of a one take budget at this point so i can't stop like i need y'all to fix this mic because we're creating magic and i'm like okay i'm just gonna improvise at the moment i had to think of something so i'm like okay this pitch on there i'm starting to hit it and i'm hitting it or whatever i'm still grooving with the song it's being people's favorite part of the song and i'm like i'm literally just playing it multiple hitting the, the 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 the, the shot pitch multiple times because I couldn't hear the pitch on the mic because it wasn't that's not my 
you know you have those who spot on the scenario yeah, where you yeah. want to hear that pitch. Yeah. I couldn't hear it, and so I was hitting it multiple times so I could hear it. But people looked; they were like, uh, "The producer was like, look, that was the best part of the song. Was you doing that?'" And I'm like, "It was, a, it was no purpose." So I created magic because I was trying to be creative. Like, how can I get people to hear this? Mm-hmm. You know, without you know messing up the tape because we're like in a zone, and I didn't want to. I was like, "We're taping it," so I'm gonna mess the magic up because it's like, "Oh, I don't want to be a." A nerd, a music nerd, like oh, the pitches are right on the or this mic is on the snare, put it on the other side. But that's when I realized how uh, serious it is to do that. I'm taking that. I, that's just a long-winded story of me appreciating audio and everything that behind scenes in terms of micing up systems and whatnot. I'm gonna add this to lead into my question of asking, how, how did you get interested in doing? It? Were you that? Because I know a little. Bit about because you, when you're a musician, you got to be the all around person, you got to know how to check the mics. You got to sometimes you got to be the one to set the mic up. And mm-hmm. if you're that musician that's versatile, if you know how to sing, and you want if some if a background singer doesn't show up, you sing while you're playing your instrument because somebody didn't show up, or people don't know how to work the microphone system, the sound guys in there. Were you that, that person? How did you get into doing audio? Did you fall into place like learning stuff at gigs or? at service or how, how did your interest in doing audio and engineering and what, how, how, how did that happen? So my, my journey with that is very unique uh, and not, uh, not desirable. So <laughs> I was like most musicians where we had some type of, you know, super small recording interface at home, you know, and we pretend, we're like this amazing producer just because we can hit record, right? Like, even though that's nothing. Uh, that's just the modern audio world. That's what people claim to be. Oh, I've made it. I'm great. Um, but that's all I really did. I didn't know anything. You know, like, I think back to when I, the very first thing I ever recorded, I I was very, I bought a new kit. I, I had a whole bunch of, a full new drum microphone package. I had a DigiDesign 002 audio interface. I was pretty spoiled to have stuff like that as my first thing. Uh, and I remember I was recording a song for a friend. And then he's like, you know what? Why don't you try to mix this? You know, because none of us had any mixing experience. So, you know, we're doing the typical thing, reading books and manuals that say, you should do this, you should do that, right? But when you have a lack of understanding as to when and why you're supposed to do that, if you don't have that, then you're going to make a terrible mistake. So literally this one song, I remember he called me and I mixed it. He's like, bro, your, your symbols freaking ripping my face off. Like it wasn't in volume. It was in brightness. And I was thinking, what do you mean? You know, I didn't know anything about speaker placement, acoustic treatment. Mm -hmm. The point that was like way beyond where I was. But at the end of the day, I remember telling him like, dude, I'm, I'm adding five DB at, 10 kilohertz because this book said to do it. He's like, bro, your symbols already sound like glass without it. Like you want to play a Zildjian a custom fast crash and then add like a 10 DB shelf to, because somebody said symbols should be bright. But if your symbols are already bright, right. why are you making it more bright? It sounds so stupid now, but like literally that's what <laughs> any amateur person that doesn't know audio is going to do because we're trying to, we're assuming there's religious rules and there are, there are things to focus on, but the more experience I got, what's funny is I've become less 
what's it called? Bookie, uh, less mm-hmm. uh, ideal. Like I'm actually using my ears tell to tell me what to do more so than uh, what something should be because that's what somebody said. Like it, it sounds so all right. really simplified, but like at the end of the day, I tell people, my audio mentor would always tell me if it sounds right, it is right. And mm-hmm. it, no matter how you got there, even if some people would say that's ghetto, bro, like you, sh- you shouldn't be doing that. Like there's a much <laughs> better way to do it. The point is you got there. So does it right. matter? Like, so that kind of thing was a school of hard knocks for me, but here's the deal. So I spent, seven to eight years after that, still doing that. I technically was barely any better. I still sucked, you know, like, cause I had nobody mentoring me and all that. Um, when, um, fast forwarding very quickly at one point, my wife got this worship ministry leading position in Kentucky. So we moved near a city called Fort Knox. Obviously you probably heard of Fort Knox because of its reputation, but we literally lived right next door to it. And, um, we were there for about five years. That church flopped. Um, it ended up taking, uh, they ended up changing Fort Knox from a military training base to administrative, literally. So like when I moved there, tanks were shooting off, helicopters everywhere. Even five miles from my house, it would shake my house. Like that's how intense these planes were. When the market, the market didn't crash in 07 with the rest of the country because with it being a military base, Thing, there's so much movement with personnel that it never looks mm-hmm. like it's hurting. Sadly, mm-hmm. when my church uh, took a hit because of the military making that transition, attendance-wise, there was a weird contract on the church loan. And long story short, the lender took the building back. We literally lost the whole building. It was a 1,200-seater auditorium. Really big, 45,000 square feet uh, facility. Well, over oh. time... I ended up obviously needing a job. I was like the building maintenance person at the time while hustling, doing music on the side. My wife was the worship leader. So we both lost our jobs almost immediately within months after that. And we ended up going back home and home, meaning where I went to Bible college. It was kind of like, you know, our second home from home. They needed an audio person. And I basically, I won't say I lied, but I got, (laughs) I, I, I was not qualified for the job. I'll say that. So I'm moving into, it's a mega ministry. I mean, have you ever heard of Pastor Rod Parsley? Yeah, I've heard of him. Okay. So he mm-hmm. was really big in the nineties, early two thousands. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, the point is he's got a, a very big ministry. And because of that, him doing, he has got everything from live audio, studio audio and broadcast. So all those three major audio elements that I, I kind of categorize it as. So when I'm going there, I'm not just going to run audio like on the stage in the pit and then I hide and pretend I know what I'm doing. It's like I have to be intermingled with this guy that's been doing it so long that even though he's not an audio person, he's just the talent. He knows enough about it to call you out in your bluff. And uh, Mm. the first service I'm there, they're on these big boy consoles that I've never seen in my life because first of all, middle class raised. We ain't got the budget. We don't even got the budget to stare at these things, let alone own these things. And these are like <laughs> right. just the mixer. Now we're talking like $150,000, $200,000, and you don't even have mic prees on them. You know, it, bougie companies like Digico, stuff like that. So this is my first introduction to audio, period. Mm-hmm. Like, I say that that way because 
just because I hit record for 10 years does not mean I understand audio. Live sound, as you know, is very different in studio. You know, it's yeah. uncontrolled, so you got to really know your stuff. So that, long story short, that's how I introduced into audio. I was there for four to five years. To be honest, I'm not going to go into the details of this, not to make this end up being like an anger or de <laughs> depressing podcast, but I had a couple of uh, just bad memories of that place in particular that led me into this like really quick depression within my first year of being there. Uh, and I share that real quickly because when that happened, I really do believe that was a God moment because it was getting him to get me to understand that whatever was supposed to take place in my life was going to be up to me and not my environment. Uh, now environment is important. Hence why I moved to Nashville, but that came later. Mm. I had to work on my mentality, my heart posture, my work ethic, all of that. Uh, so in doing audio, there's like there was all these weird bittersweet things. I kind of suffered through it. And interesting enough, I became pretty good at it. Like now, like literally just this past week, I was uh, in Leskington doing some audio maintenance and training for three days. And I'm getting pulled all around the country to do these things. So it's kind of mind blowing. But here's the thing I need to share. My When I moved to Nashville, I decided to move here as a musician. And I literally told myself because of my negative experiences I was like, I will never run sound ever again. Like, we're talking like live studio, none of it, because I had such a bad taste mm -hmm. in my mouth. What I didn't realize, that I ain't meaning to try to get all spiritual about this, but what I didn't realize, no, it was God set up for blessing in my life. Because what I didn't know is, while Nashville is obviously full of talented musicians, let's say for every 100 musicians, 30 or 40 of them are impeccable, right? Well, it's really hard to compete in that realm. And I was like, I want to be a drummer. Well, good luck breaking out in like drum capital. I mean, we got we got <laughs> tons of drum stores. It's like a dream, right? Well, yes. what I what I quickly noticed was wait a minute. The audio community, while it seemingly has a lot of people, the ratio of impeccable versus people is much smaller. So I didn't really think about it from a business perspective, but I noticed that. And I noticed when I started getting I guess complimented or acknowledged, meaning I'm getting more and more work, even from rep repetitious business people. Uh, I started noticing, wait a minute, I do have something to offer. Like I didn't even have self confidence because of the bad taste mm -hmm. in my mouth. And right from success story after success story, which took months and years at this point, uh, I started building self confidence and I quickly realized, wait a minute, audio is going to be what I thought was a curse is the blessing into my musical career. So, Right. The audio gigs opened up the drumming gigs. And then next thing you know, like I met impeccable keyboard players. There's this jazz fusion cat guy in town called Michael Whitaker. He was at this first church where I ran sound. I made a whopping $200 a week. And that's all I made all month. My first month here while pretending I'm going to tell my wife, we're going to make it. <laughs> so that wasn't going to be a thing, but three, four years later, this is crazy, and I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with Corey Wong? Corey Wong. His name sounds familiar. If I see a picture, a I probably Okay, confirm. he's a guitar player. He In, a, in a, a short synopsis, he's making rhythm guitar sexy again, if that makes sense. <laughs> that makes fact, he, sense. He had even, like, Victor Wooten on there, and Victor Wooten himself is saying that. He's like, my when my little his little daughter, Victor, I, I don't remember how old she is now, but she's still pretty young. When she found yeah. out that he was on Corey Wong's like live show thing he's doing, he was she was basically telling Victor, "You are so lucky." 
Like, and Victor was like, I don't even know who this guy is. And he ends up finding out. He's like, dude, like, impeccable band, the horn section. It's just ridiculous. It, when you have time, check it out. It's, it's not a sales pitch. Right now, so I can, so I can get up. About to now, I'll put it in my notes. This. I, I went into this story with that because do you know, you may have heard of Snarky Puppy? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I threw that p- that piano player, which ultimately knew I played drums, and then he gained respect for me running audio four years prior. I got to go to his beautiful home studio. It's kind of like a mini version of Hans Zimmer's studio, literally. And I got to engineer Corey Wong's drummer, which I'm a big fangirl of, and Mark Lettieri, uh, <laughs> I forgot how to say it, from, from Snarky Puppies, the guitar player. And I'm uh-huh. like, like, how does this all make sense? Uh, I don't even know where I'm going with the story in general, but this is important. Like, this is why I'm me right now. So for those of you who are questioning, why am I on this path? You think, how does this make sense with this? It's the lessons learned in that that's going to open up the opportunity for what you actually need. So something that I was Uh, bittersweet about when I moved here for something completely different, I was like, oh, I hate this. Why am I doing this? I'm wasting my own time. What I thought was a curse is a blessing. It's almost like a sermon in the making. And what I thought God was trying to hurt me with, he was actually trying to hook me up with, because audio pays me way more than drumming almost ever will. Uh, and yes. I think it is because it is a specialized industry that very few people are good at. I mean, any gig you've ever been to, yes, there's always audio people, but no, they're not usually good. Uh, I mean, I can say that pretty definitively, not just because of how it turns out, you can tell somebody's uh, ability level interesting enough by their ambition and passion when they're serving you. Audio is different than music. Music, you're in the service of the song. Audio, you're in the service of the artist. And it's a very humbled position because, as you know, typically it's a very undervalued job even when they are good. But the best audio people are the ones nobody realizes is in the room. They're the ones not yes. distracting you from the music. They're the ones actually translating it so well that you forget that an audio person is actually there making it happen. Uh, so right. I don't know if I just answered a question, but my heart is racing and I, fo- I follow that path. <laughs> oh, listen, this podcast, because I've had these moments all the time with certain decisions like Frank McComb. Yeah, I'm going to start calling these moments when y'all say something. When I ask y'all a question, mirror moments. That's what I'm just going to call because you literally say when you said all of that, it's literally a mirror moment. Because that was because I started music directing because of a bad experience I had in church. Mm. It was mostly because I was writing my two dan and I didn't know how to say no mm-hmm. to certain moments because it's church. But I felt like if I didn't say yes, I wouldn't get the opportunity. This is when I was in my early 20s. I was really, really young into it. I to pursue, you know, the, the dream musician job. And I was getting a lot of yes, but it was wearing me thin. And I didn't realize then uh, that it was, I was playing music that was unmotiv- was not motivating me. That wasn't, and I had the same thing. I kind of went into a depression as well because, I went into playing church with like an earnest, like it was like I was spiritually trying to awaken myself and 
Once we introduce the music playing the piano, it'll awaken that fire playing with a certain drummer that ignited that in me. It was like, I wanted that to continue on. Then it got to a certain point to where it was like, I was just doing stuff because they asked me to. I wasn't the music. I wasn't really that. It wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to play. And then I was feeling more creative, but I was feeling stifled because I couldn't be as creative as I wanted because it's church. Gotcha. Can't be, you, it's certain limitations. Like I can't do a whole print <laughs> riff like I want to. Not, you know, just being silly in this moment. Yeah, but yeah. in totality, I just had so many different ideas came to approach in music. And it's limited, especially with it sometimes in church with age and the experience because they think just because you're young that you can't bring something else to the table. So it was that factor that mm-hmm. I, I'll just be to say that part. I, I'm not going to go down a whole riff like you were saying about yours, but from what you just said, I reason why it's a mirror moment is because I literally got depressed from, from and then I got an opportunity to do me for came in because it was such a huge responsibility. Like you just showing up to rehearsal and already learning, preparing music. Like I have to pretty much dictate the, the, the energy as a music director, specifically in church, you're basically in control of the music from the top of the program to the bottom, from when the pastor, from before the pastor gets on to after he gets on, like from any part of the service with the music, like I had to learn everything, like I was in charge of the choir, like the, picking the choir songs, I was in charge of the devotional songs, I was in charge of the altar call songs, I was in charge of offering songs, so it's, it wasn't necessarily that it was like that got a bad taste in my mouth. It was sort of the people. It was the uh, favoritism I was seeing in church. It was that factor. And that now that I, I'm in a position to where I'm sort of in contact, I'm starting to see things with money exchanges that I'm uncomfortable with. I'm uncomfortable with getting paid this much money to do all this stuff I'm having, like, because I feel like it's a gig now i'm treating this like a gig now now it's not me earnestly the heart now it's like oh i'm getting paid to do this so i have to show up it's a point felt like i was like forcing myself to go there for money at that point and it, mm-hmm. it started feeling like a gig and i was like i don't like doing this and so, so the bad taste of my mouth i thought it was like oh the music directing job i'm never doing that again but as again, the mirror moment when you said that was, oh no, it's not that, it's doing it outside. It was doing mm-hmm. an actual professional music director. I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be. And so when I say it's a mirror moment, it's literally a mirror moment because I thought, wow, doing it in church, I thought the music directing, I was like, I do this again because this is literally draining me, but it wasn't that, it was that I couldn't be as creative as I wanted to in that space because that space doesn't call for that. You know, it does because it, it, the bigger the church is, like I've done uh, churches, you know, at this point, or I need to go back to church, but that's a whole other thing. But when I do, they have MDs in church. Like it's other churches, like in different denominations that have an MD and have that, but I'm turning to the heathen side of me that wants to come out. I like doing this. <laughs> The, the music I want to play, like I can't play Lucifer's Love, uh, Funkadelic, <laughs> Lucifer Love. I can't play that in the A B selection no. at church. 
words. You know what I'm saying? That's music that speaks to me. I love funk music. Like that's that music I know stone. Like that music speaks to my spirit. So when I get a chance to play with artists or musicians that have that same love of music, it makes me more so than playing gospel music in church, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so when I realize, oh, I can do this outside church and be as creative as I want to be, that's where, and again, I was just playing in church. I wasn't taking on as many gigs. I was doing so-so, but I got more gigs as a music director outside of church than I have. And, and it was just me learning. And then I didn't realize like when being a student of music, you have to know that as a music director in terms of the transitional pieces and songs. If a certain artist, if they're similar to a certain, if they're inspired, it's like certain intricacies, like how a DJ blend. Yeah. Like they may take a sample like from a record and like, like a Jay song, I think he sampled Steely Dan's Peg, I think. Mm-hmm. Or I forgot, I think it I think it's that song, but they would take a Jay-Z song and put the actual sample of that song and blend it in there. Like yeah. that's how my mind interprets music. So I want to do that, but in an instru- instru- instrumentational way. And me being a music director, that creativity for me to try to blend songs together. That and I'm doing that at corporate gigs. And it was mm-hmm. a like a learning piece. And it, it, that was like my college doing corporate gigs because it's like you can like corporate is basically you're playing maybe the most popular music at the time. A lot of safe music. What I learned from demographics of just watching the kind of uh, people that that party like that. They the, the same spot is always 80s music mm-hmm. It's always 80s. I think in like if you go to restaurants, if you go to grocery stores, nine times out of 10, you're going to hear an 80s song. Because that's the demographic that shops at 40 plus mm-hmm. club. Yeah. They usually went graduated high school like at 88, 89. So here and so I would use that approach to gigs and I would try to find the high it may not have been the hottest song when it came out in the 80s, but it hit a certain region and, and it started popping. And then I love the reaction of, oh my God, how did you know about that song? Like that song wasn't like it an album cut or it could have been just a song that didn't get the right promotion but it did enough in that region like if i played in detroit or something i would try to find the song from that era from, from that crowd to where they react to it a certain way so it started it, it takes so many different levels to it not just a long way to say it but <laughs> you get when you're a student and a mu- being a music director it helped me be a student of the music to where it's like intricate parts of where okay Okay, I'm fo- in the student process of just not learning a certain artist's uh, catalog. I went from, it graduated me from just not learning the catalog, but learning the demographics in the age bracket, in the race bracket, mm-hmm. the cultural bracket, the regional bracket, because those yeah. factor into playing in certain venues. And it's like, as an MD, it's like, hey, the artists I play for, they're from the islands. And it's like, hey, let's try to incorporate the reggae offshoot a little bit in some of these songs, not to try to take away from the integrity, but just like, if we're getting ready to end the song, that's a great way to be creative. I feel cause that way, cause you know, sometimes songs are created with vocals to where at the end of the song, at living most of the time, I say majority mm-hmm. of songs with great singers. If the producer does it right, 
they they leave enough space at the end to where you can add they can add it through and that's your time to shine as a musician or whatever yeah. if it calls for it and so i'm like as a music director i'm like okay this is a perfect time to switch the rhythmic rhythm up not so much to where it takes away from the integrity of the song but just to add a little you know just a little dash you don't want to change it oh, yeah. just you know add a little dash of you know seasoning it you yeah. know yeah. but that's the exciting music director and i I hate that guy I got so long. Again, I get passionate too talking about music directing as you do it, as you did talking about well, audio. It's actually, yeah. it's actually real funny you say that because I mean, and I'm not going to go along with this, but like literally, I mean, most of us that grew up at least in the 90s to, to where when you had physical CDs, yeah. it was just a different experience, right? You were excited to see who was on the album, which even with the digitalization yes. of who's on getting uh, credit points and all that, it's not documented well. So there was something special about that. But the the end of the song thing you're saying literally brings me back endless memories. Some of my favorite things that would introduce me to who I discovered were impeccable musicians was literally the 15 second fade out. It was like it was the moment where the music is almost off and then the drummer actually goes for it. And you're like, yeah, in the world. And I was like. Because the whole album, like, let's say it's a very poppy thing. The drummer is not allowed to do too much in it, uh, especially because yeah. they could have easily just put a drum loop over him and replaced him. But right. they allowed it to have real kit. So, of course, he's oversimplified. And then towards the end, he's doing these riffs where I'm just like, whoa, who's this guy? But, yeah, between yeah. that and you bringing up memories of this just makes my heart so happy in a weird way. But you're talking about, you know, church and secular songs. I mean, I don't know what it is about church musicians trying to sneak in secular music into the church world the best memory i have i could not believe they approved this okay first of all it was i don't know if you've ever heard of prophetess juanita bynum she was she was pretty big oh, yeah. uh yeah she's the point is she, before yes so, yes she and, and she it wasn't a hidden church it was a it was a heathenist tweet too so i'm yeah, like she's still, <laughs> She's still hitting church milk and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, it's her service, and she's got that fire and brimstone reputation back then. Like, like you don't dare bring worldliness into this church. Dude, 50, almost, actually almost 6,000 people in this sanctuary, and they sneak in Beyonce's hit, 2004. And I promise you, it was a good two minutes long. I mean, it was the whole thing. And I was just like, what? And, you know, I'm waiting for her to come out and start rebuking everybody. She did not. But the point I'm trying to make is <laughs> it was the band's highlight moment to bring in such a reputable secular song into the church world. I'll never forget that moment. Never. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed, or relaxed, soul savviness got you the ultimate getaway. You are listening to the Sounds of Soul Savviness podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease.